Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on history.org. This is behind the scenes, where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. To 17th century Americans, witches were the evil forces behind unexplained deaths, sickness, poor crops, and storms. Author Carson Hudson joins us today to tell us how this fear evolved from a real threat to a holiday myth. In the 1700s, belief in witches was rather standard, wasn't it? Well, yes and no. Um, by the 1700s, we were entering the Age of Enlightenment, and there were lots of people who still believed in witchcraft from the earlier times, mm -hmm. and there were witchcraft persecutions in America and in Virginia. By mid-century, many people had dropped those beliefs, and, and by the 1770s, the time of the American Revolution, it was only a, a, a few who actually still believed in witchcraft. Actually, one of the few who believed was John Wesley, who founded uh, Methodism. He was a staunch believer in witchcraft. Well, he would almost have to be, wouldn't he? If you believe in heaven and hell, then you have to have a devil. That's exactly right, and, and that's, that's kind of the cornerstone on why early Americans believed in witchcraft. Um, it's an age in which you have witches and fairies and demons appearing in works of Shakespeare. Everyone believes in these things. Uh, King James himself actually had written a book, Demonology, on how to discover witches. He was a firm believer in witchcraft. I find it fascinating that uh, James I was so convinced uh, of witchcraft, and there was a general belief that the more barren and wild the place you lived, <laughs> the more likely that there was a witch behind every tree. Yes, the wildest parts of these lands, King James wrote, referring to Virginia, are, are the scenes of where the devil and his minions are, are uh, in control. Um, when the first settlers got here at Jamestown in 1607, they were looking at the Native Americans, the Indians, as being followers of the devil. And there are many instances where uh, people who are writing, the Englishmen who are writing in the early days of Jamestown, are comparing the Indians to devils and to witches. Uh, in particular, John Smith refers to Chief Powhatan. Uh, he says that he is blacker than the devil. I. Uh... I found it interesting reading about some of the trials in Virginia. The tests that were developed for telling who's a witch and who isn't. They're all grounded on beliefs that these people uh, at, at that time seriously believed in. Um, you've got to take out our image of the 21st century of what we know and, and you know put yourself into the mind of 17th and 18th century Virginians and Americans and look at things from their point of view. Uh, in the 17th and 18th century, this was a time in which you could learn to do anything from a book. You could learn how to fight with a sword. You could learn how to raise sheep. You could learn how to dance, all from reading a book. And one of the things that you could do was learn how to discover witches. There were many, many different types of books on, on discovery of witchcraft and that sort of thing. And uh, these tests came about um, in order to try and prove that a person wasn't or was a witch. Um, you have the, the looking for the devil's mark, for example. Mm -hmm. The devil's mark was uh, 
a mark that was somewhere on the body, uh, said to resemble a, a bluish mark, like a scar or a birthmark, that was insensible to pain. And if you possessed this mark, it was a sign that you had put your name in the devil's book and the devil had kissed you, and that had left the mark. Dunking or ducking was, was my favorite. I just thought it was wonderful. Post somebody in water and see if they sink. Well, does that mean they're guilty? No, that means they're innocent. The test actually goes back to the Code of Hammurabi um, to determine whether a person had a good soul or a bad soul. You would uh, bind someone on up and throw them into water, and because water was a pure element, it was supposed to repel uh, an evil soul. Um, and it was a test that could not be proven one way or the other, because if you took a hundred people, tied them up, and threw them into water, and some sank and some floated, you couldn't prove that the people who sank had good souls or bad souls and the people who floated or whatever. Um, you know, it was something that was inside each individual. Um, so there was no way to disprove the test. Uh, by the 17th and 18th century, um, there were safeguards in effect. The court was not out to kill an innocent person. And that's, you know, you see these Monty Python skits of throwing someone in and ducking them and they're going to drown if they're innocent. Uh, in reality, the court took great care to safeguard people that were put to this test. They would um, bind them with a rope, of course, but then put ropes around their bodies so that if they did sink beneath the water, they could be pulled up instantly. They had proven that they were innocent and you wanted to preserve their life. Uh, one case here in Virginia in particular in 1705, the court even postponed the test of trial by water because uh, it was raining the day that they wanted to do the test and they did not want the person being tested to catch a cold. I uh, like the fact that a horseshoe would protect your home from witches if it were put up over the window or the door with the points down. I mean, how did that develop? That I, I can't give you a, a background on why the up or down for, for horseshoes um, for witches, why, why it came about, we do know that, yes, if the horseshoe is up, the luck holes in, and if it's down, it's a protection against witches. There are several instances here in Virginia uh, of horseshoes being mentioned. In one particular case in which a horseshoe uh, was tried to keep a woman out of a house, uh, a horseshoe was put up over a door to see if a woman could actually enter through the door, and if she could, then it proved her innocence uh, that she was not a witch. Also, a curious fact is that we know that the English and Virginians were using what was called a witch bottle. And a witch bottle was a glass bottle filled with goat's urine and with brass pins and sometimes a, a, a small scroll with a religious saying on it or the Lord's Prayer, which was buried uh, underneath of a hearth or at a door sill or a under a window sill to keep witches from entering a building. Uh, the theory there was that the glass uh, bottle um, would simulate the, the witch's uh, bladder and would burst or be in pain if they tried to pass that particular point. Comparative. Was there more belief in witchcraft in New England because of the Puritan background than there was in colonial Virginia, which was almost but not quite as puritanical? Well. Anywhere in the 17th and 18th century that you have an English colony, you were going to have witchcraft 
laws and witchcraft beliefs. Englishmen were Englishmen wherever they were at, whether it was Massachusetts, uh, Virginia, Georgia, or Barbados, or whatever. You have these witchcraft beliefs. And if you investigate into the truth of the matter, there are witchcraft cases in all of these colonies. There are more than just the famous Salem witchcraft cases in Massachusetts. The, the justices of the peace here in Virginia believe in witchcraft, as any Englishman does, but they need it to be proved to them before they will convict someone. They're not just going on wild accusations. Uh, basically, again, we're coming into the age of reason, the age of enlightenment. People are beginning to get explanations for why things are occurring, and these witchcraft beliefs are falling by the wayside by the mid-century. And um, I, I think a lot of it, too, is that it's just common sense. Some of the witchcraft accusations, although they sound fantastical to us, even in the 17th and 18th century, there are people who are saying these are too fantastical and they're laughing at them and they're just not taking this stuff seriously. Every age has its own culture. Every, every time has its own culture. And again, that's why historians have to look at a culture through the eyes and mores of the time that they are looking at. We cannot impose our 20th century beliefs and ideas upon the 17th century, and the 25th century cannot do that with us if they want to seriously look at and investigate what we were doing or if we want to do the same to, to the past. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Check back often. We'll post more for you to download and hear. Send us your feedback at history.org slash podcasts.